we wouldn't trade our quarterback for anybody on the planet. And and so we're we're glad to have him. You know, it was it was great to get a win like this. You know, this is kind of how they all were down the stretch last year. Yeah, this is the kind of game that great teams win. I don't know about what Zach Taylor said. I mean, if the Dalai Lama became available, you'd really have to consider that, right? I don't know. <laughs> Anybody on the well, planet maybe he will is be. pretty broad. <laughs> pretty broad. But, uh, hey, you know, the Bengals are doing exactly what they did last year. They were 5-4 and four entering the bye, exactly like last year. And even though, and this is so weird, they go to the Super Bowl. Usually when you go to the Super Bowl, you acquire on the back of your jersey a target that every team shoots for every week. You become the measuring stick game. You become that team where Denny Green used to say, everybody brings their A game. Everybody we play brings their A game. We have to deal with it every single week. When you're one of those teams that has that target, And the Bengals, to me, Miles, it feels like they didn't enter the season with that target. The Bills were the ones. I remember talking about at the beginning of the season, like the Bills had to be thinking, what the hell did we do to get all this pressure on us? We haven't even been to a Super Bowl in 30 years. Why are we the ones that everybody's gunning for? What about the Bengals? Go after them. And it's playing out perfectly. They, They just keep checking boxes. They just keep winning games. Yesterday was very impressive to me. They go in. To Tennessee is one-and-a-half-point favorites. I thought the Titans would win, especially with Jamar Chase not yet back. Joe Mixon out with a concussion. And the Bengals overcome this idea that the Titans at some level are going to want to get revenge for what happened in the playoffs, even though it's apples to apples, and it's really not revenge. I, I don't like that idea of, oh, we got to get revenge. Well, why? What do they do? They come to your, your house and throw eggs? They, 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 they did their job, and they won the game. There's no revenge to be had. But still, I thought the Titans would have a little something more. And if they did, the Bengals overcame it. i got to give the Bengals a ton of credit. I talked to Sam Hubbard after the game, who was part of the defense that shut down Derrick Henry, and the idea was we're just going to, you know, we're just going to not let him – uh, continue to run the ball once he gets hit because that's when he's his most dangerous. And they coupled that with a great offensive performance from Samadji Pirine. T. Higgins had 114 receiving yards. Joe Burrow doing Joe Burrow things. Only got sacked once on the day after getting sacked nine times in that playoff win over Tennessee. And he, uh, no Jamar Chase, no Joe Mixon, no problem. But there they are getting to the ball with Derrick Henry. And the idea was... We have to get him to the ground when he's hit the first time. We can't let him run off of contact. And after that long play that we saw where he fumbled the ball on the screen pass at the end zone and Traylon Burks recovered for the touchdown, Sam Hubbard told me that the defensive players looked at each other and said, that's it, not another one today. And there wasn't another play like that the rest of the day, and that's one of the big reasons. If if Derrick Henry doesn't kill you, you've got a pretty good chance of beating the Titans. Uh, it was a really impressive performance in that they were just swarming Derrick Henry. So, I mean, to hear what he said to you about that, I mean, that that's really the way it played out on the field. They did not allow him to get going running the ball at all, and that's why the, the Titans had to involve Derrick Henry more in the passing game because that's their best offensive weapon. That's the guy that they know that they can turn to. And when Derrick Henry gets the ball in space and he's running with the head of steam, that's where he kills you. And that's what the Bengals basically prevented him from doing the entire game, aside from that long screen that ended up in a touchdown because Derrick Henry fumbled and then he fumbled it into the end zone and Traylon Burks was there giant on the spot and he, and he falls on it and it's a touchdown. But, I mean, it was just a really impressive defensive performance. And when you have that on the road and you allow your offense to do its thing when it's missing its top guys too – That really says a lot, I think, about where the Bengals are right now and where they can go. I mean, you cannot count the Bengals out of winning that AFC North right now. And it sort of looked like at the beginning of the season, like, oh, my gosh, what's going on there? They found themselves. They have been able to win games and now won five of their last six. And, I mean, I feel pretty good about them hosting the Kansas City Chiefs next week in that really, really, really critical game for what could have a lot of AFC playoff implications. With Derrick Henry, for as great as he is, and he's the closest thing the current game has to Jim Brown. Some people get upset when you compare him to Jim Brown. 
Find me another guy right. in the NFL right now that would even be com- – com- and I know that this may be sacrilegious for a Browns fan. But I, mean, I have one on the top of my mind. His name is Nick Chubb, and he plays in Cleveland. So, okay. you know. But, but I, just, I feel like Derrick Henry has been that. He's done it on a yeah. higher level over a longer period of time. My point is this. He doesn't have instant explosion. It takes him two or three strides to really get to his most dangerous point. So that's when you got to get him on the ground. He doesn't just – when he gets the ball, it's not just pow and he's gone. He's got that one, two, three, and then he's gone. And if you get him in that one, two, three, as he's really getting that body up to speed, that's when you have your chance, and that's what the Bengals did. And I, you know, one of the things I said to Sam Hubbard, do you feel like you're being disrespected, and do you like it that way? And what he said sounded a lot like what we played at the very top of the show. They got to play us. We're not worried about the schedule. Right. We're not worried about those other teams. They have to play us. And – yeah, I mean, with the Chiefs on deck, that, that's, that's an opportunity to remind everyone, to the extent that they're comfortable reminding everyone that they're still there and they're still pretty good. Again, I think they kind of like flying under the radar because when you are the top dog, when you are the team that everyone's pointing to saying they're the ones we want to beat, they're the ones to watch out for, it's a little harder to operate. They've been able to operate on their own without that extra spotlight, but they're getting closer and closer to glare returning to the Cincinnati Bengals because you know last year the way they did it in the playoffs it it just it felt like a rabbit out of the hat one game after the other like how can you replicate that but they, they just they, they have something about them that and this is Joe Burrow leading the way they step up in those moments and they just get it done when the time comes to win those big games and now they're doing it as we get closer to December and uh, you know it's, it's fun to watch not for the Ravens if you're a fan of the team that used to be the Cleveland Browns and is now the Baltimore Ravens, you know I had to mention that, uh, yeah, Miles. Um, it, it's it's problematic. You. It's very problematic for the Ravens because, you know, I thought they had gotten past the blow the double digit lead thing, with yeah. Roquan Smith there, the defense getting better. I didn't think they were going to continue to do this, and now it comes back at the worst possible time when you're trying to establish and maintain your dominance or at least status in first place in the division and and fend off the Bengals you can't you can't go to Jacksonville all due respect to the Jaguars but come on this isn't quite the same as the Colts losing there in week 18 last year with the playoffs on the line but you can't go to Jacksonville maybe they were distracted by the mascot in his in the Will Ferrell speedo I don't know but you can't go you can't go to Jacksonville and blow a double-digit lead. You can't go down there and lose that game. You can't. They were up by nine. It was two scores, right? Two possessions, okay. as I would okay. rather say. But it's Close the, to, it's I'm the rounding. same. I, I, I know, I know. I, I, and it's the same effect, right? I mean, whether it's 10 or nine, you should be able to win that game. If you're the Baltimore Ravens and you've made the moves that you've made. Again, you, you just mentioned you acquired Roquan Smith. This is the time where you're supposed to be over that stuff. You know, where you blow leads like that. You can't do that. You cannot come into this thing where you've lost three of your four games in the last 15 seconds. What are you doing? This is not the kind of Ravens team that we expect to see under John Harbaugh, who has been that head coach, who's won a Super Bowl, who has established a program there that has been good for a very, very, very long time. And so right now, if the Ravens keep doing this, to me, they're not a real Super Bowl contender. You cannot keep blowing leads like this when you have them in the fourth quarter and think, yeah, everything's going to be fine once we make it to the postseason, if we make it to the postseason at this point, because there's no guarantee that they're going to do that either. So, I mean, I, I, you know, you said, with all due respect to Jacksonville, like, look, this was a big time drive by Trevor Lawrence when they needed it. Okay. And we haven't really seen that kind of thing very much from him. And there are a lot of reasons that that didn't happen last year. But this year, you expect him to take the step forward with Doug Peterson. Maybe it took a little bit longer than we thought to really see this come to fruition. But that's the kind of thing that you draft him number one overall for. So that he can go in there and he can lead you to a victory like this at home when the chips are down, when you're behind. Who knows what this is going to mean for Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars and Doug Peterson going forward. But at least for one day... That's exactly the kind of progression that you want to see from that team. I know, but the problem is when it happens, it's so 
sporadic. It's the kid who randomly shows up with straight A's. And while he's proud of himself for getting straight A's on one report card, the question is, why don't you do this more often? Like, why, why was it this nine weeks as opposed to all the others? And until you show consistency with performances like that, it's yes. not going to be regarded as anything more than an aberration. Yes, and that's that's absolutely fair. But I, I think it's – I mean, the, the difference I would say with this is that we haven't really seen it much before, right? And, and Trevor Lawrence is still the young quarterback. He's still learning. He's still progressing. You know, it, it's going to take time for him to unlearn all the things that he was taught last year from that god-awful Urban Meyer regime. And with all due respect to the coaches there that are really good coaches, and I know that there were some, but it, it, when you have the guy in Urban Meyer who did everything that he did – to ruin a culture last year, that really sets him back as a QB. So I think now it could be that he's just getting more comfortable with Doug Peterson, but also you have a defense that has tended to blow in two possession leads. So it's kind of a combination of the column A and column B thing here. And even after all that, and look, I got to give the Jaguars credit. Usually, you know, I there's a lot of factors that go into the question of whether or not you go for two in the final 20 seconds of a game, the final minute or two of a game, if a a one-pointer ties it and forces overtime and a two-pointer wins it. General rule of thumb for me is if I'm the team on the road, I'm more likely to go for it than to to play for the tie because I just want to take it and end it and get out of there because the the home field advantage – could, could be the thing that's the difference maker in overtime. And also, if I'm the lesser team, if I'm the team that's not supposed to be there, if the other team is better, whatever that means, better than, than me, then I'm taking the opportunity now because if we extend this game, chances are they're going to wake up. And, and I think that's what motivated Doug Peterson yesterday in large part. Yeah. Um, and also, there's other more nuanced factors like how do I feel about the plays I still have in my, in my bag for this this two-point conversion? Do I have one I really like? Do I think it'll work? Dare I use one that I've already used? You know, oh, well, you're not supposed to use a play again. Well, why it work? Use it again. But how do I feel about the play I would use here? A bunch of factors go into it. But it was the first time ever, Miles, the NFL pointed this out yesterday, since they adopted the two-point conversion back in 1994, that two games the same week were won with a two-point conversion in the final two minutes. And actually, it was the final 15 seconds. Chargers over the uh, Cardinals with a two-point conversion in the final – with 15 left. And in that Jaguars-Ravens game, there were 14 left when the Jaguars got it. And there was still enough time for the Ravens to get in position for a field goal try that I thought was good. Didn't you think that was – I don't know if you, were see, if you were seeing it happen as it played out. Well, but when Justin Tucker kicked that ball, I thought it was good. And I was surprised it fell short. It wasn't just barely short. It was like a yard or two short. But I thought it was good when he hit it. Well, it was certainly online. I mean, by the time I saw it on my stream, you had already told us that it actually was no good. So I, I, I did you know, not do that. I did not do that. I did uh, not do that. Okay. Well, you spoiled well, enough other things. <laughs> Maybe I'm just getting purpose. a little confused. I know. Sorry, sorry, okay. sorry that I, as I sit here in my in my bunker in West Virginia, I have a yeah. real time fiber optic feed from all the uh, stadiums, and I see exactly what's happening as it's happening. Sorry. Yeah. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes you know you just give a little yeah. spoiler. That's okay. Right. It's the way it works. It's the way technology is. But yeah, I mean, look, it, it was it was on target. Certainly, and that's what you expect from Justin Tucker. But, I mean, it was, it was a 60-what-seven-yard field goal attempt? Come on. Yeah. And it's not – he was upset with himself after the game that he didn't hit it because he felt like he could have. But, I mean, man, you know, it's not your fault, kicker, that you didn't put the team in position to win. You know, you didn't give up fourth and five after having third and 21. So, I, you know, Justin Tucker can be upset all he wants to be upset, but – that, to me, is on the Ravens for not closing that game out when they had the opportunity to do it. That would have been something, though, to steal that win. with, And, and it's, it oh, would have yeah. underscored yet again the value of Justin Tucker, future Hall of Famer, most valuable kicker in the NFL, a weapon that can be a difference maker for you from not anywhere, but you know what I mean, under any set of circumstances. It really didn't take much when the, when the kickoff from the Jaguars after they went up one was kind of – uh, and they returned it like out toward the 35 or 40. Chris Sims yelled out, 
uh, because I've got a, a constant connection to the NBC viewing room on the weekends. I'm not there. You know, you, you're, you're going to put him in a position where it's one completion and out comes Justin Tucker and he wins the game. And it mm-hmm. almost played out that way. But obviously it didn't. The Ravens lose. They fall to 7-4. and four. And, yeah, there's something I want to mention real briefly here. He deleted the tweet, which is good. I, and I understand that, you know, Lamar Jackson's young. He's 25. And people get caught up in social media. And it's hard to not take the bait sometimes. I still give in to that temptation. You know, I go through the wrestling match between the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. But, man, the higher the profile you have, and Lamar Jackson has as high of a profile as you can imagine in the NFL, you've just you've got to you got to know when, number one, to not do it. And then, number two, when folks are nudging you politely after you've done it to delete it, it, it should be deleted more than or faster than three and a half hours after it was was tweeted i'd love to know the conversation to the full extent that led to lamar jackson finally deleting that tweet there was a vulgarity at the very end that we that we blurred out that it just it's and i i get it i get it you feel like you're being attacked we didn't show the tweet that led up to it i don't know if we have that part of it but a fan basically said hey this guy wants 250 million dollars he should be winning the game we shouldn't have to trot out justin tucker let's let him go let's let lamar walk and spread the money around to have a more well-rounded team that's what he reacted to you know what though if you're going to be on social media you're going to get that you're going to get that and the vast majority of nfl players don't take the bait they have the thick enough skin that they just let it roll off their back i'm mixing my metaphors but you get my point and i think it it makes it even more noteworthy when a small handful give into that temptation to fight back and again it's it's one thing to respond it's another thing to take it a little bit too far and he just took it a little bit too far and then i i think there was there was an effort by some in the organization to get him to realize that that he went too far and it sounds like eventually they did because he did delete it but it was up there for a while and uh uh you know there, there, there's a stubbornness that you need to have to be a successful football player and sometimes that stubbornness can carry over to other things well, look, I mean, there's the saying that, you know, you can delete your tweets, but the screenshot is forever. And that's obviously what it is because we just put the screenshot up there. And yeah, it's just, it's not a good look. And, and you, you know, you understand that it's an emotional game. It's an emotional time, especially after a loss like that. And the thing you got to do, just don't, don't pick up your phone, man. Don't look at the app, you know, I, I because people are going to say some mean, nasty, awful things. And it's just what they do. And, you know, whether or not you respond to it is your choice, right? You know, you can have a reaction and then you can have a response and the reaction can be something else that doesn't go online. And the response a lot of times should just be nothing because there's not much good that can come from that. So it's an unfortunate thing. You know, I don't think it means that Lamar Jackson should not get paid. I just, you know, you, you no. wish that he could have no, had no, a different no, no, no. response in that situation yeah. or no response at all. Yeah. And I don't think no. you were saying that. But yeah, it's no, just, I'm not it's saying that at all. Yeah, I didn't think I'm not saying that at Sorry. all. Now, now the original tweet, that was the point. They suggested he shouldn't get paid for football reasons because right. they should be getting the game done without having to worry about Justin Tucker. There is the tweet to which Lamar Jackson responded. Let Lamar walk and spend that money on a well-rounded team. And it's, you know, the thing that makes it surprising, I, I mean, as the the range of mean tweets goes that's probably not at the worst of the worst extreme you're you're right there's far worse said all the time about anyone who's got far worse said about him yesterday yeah exactly so i it's just weird that that's the one that really set him off but the thing is if you're scrolling through those and you're seeing him you never know which is going to be the one that breaks the camel's back and gets you to respond and it's such a it's such a poisonous reality and it's not getting any better i've compared it in the past to basically having you know a million people in the town square and they're passing around a megaphone and you can hear what each one is saying at any given time it's the it's the ability to vandalize to spray paint you know, obscenities and insults on on the, uh, you know, the front wall of your house whenever somebody wants to do it. And it's and, you know, people and the other side of it, too, is I go through this with some of the emails I get from folks. I'll get these hateful, nasty emails and I'll respond to them in kind of a like funny way. And it's like they're my best friend after that. Sometimes I feel like people just need to vent 
that they don't really mean it. They're just upset, and they think they'll feel better if they vent, that that's really not who they are. And I'd like to think that's not who who these people are. I'd like to think it's just a snapshot of a bad moment that evaporates and is gone, and that's not really who they are. My hope for humanity is that's the case, especially as we enter the Christmas season. Yeah, I, I could luck with that hope for humanity. I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably wrong. But at least we uh, suspend those be. we suspend those bad assumptions slash realities about our fellow man during the month of December, which is creeping closer and closer. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, some superlatives for week twelve of the twenty twenty two NFL regular season. We'll do that next here on PF Two Live. you can sing too, I got you heard you got skills, boy. <laughs> you heard, yeah, you heard home. <laughs> well, they got this. They're dropping this Christmas album, right, with the offensive line. Let's roll this in. You got the clips. What, yeah, how how yeah. did all this come together? Uh, well, Jordan's, like, unbelievable. So Jordan was on the mass Senior, like, in the offseason. So Jordan's really good. Oh, wow. Kelsey and I, like, more, like, sitting in the locker, singing just old songs. and <laughs> You're the backup uh, singers? We're backup singers. <laughs> yeah, so, so we know we know our role. But, uh, man, it was really fun. All, uh, you know, we kind of thought it was a joke until we had to go into recording studio. Kelsey and I were so nervous. Just, you know, we never done that before. So uh, had to get a little bit of liquid courage. But other than that, uh, Jordan stole the show, and, and Kelsey and I filled in whatever, wherever we needed to. Gave you a greater respect for those guys, those artists, Tons. Yeah, those it's, musicians. it's different. I got a lot of respect for them. That's Lane Johnson with Jack Collinsworth and Rodney Harrison from the Peacock Sunday Night Football Final. The program is available until 7 p.m. Eastern today. I like that cover of Philly Special Christmas, although whoever has the rights to the Charles Schultz Library probably sending a cease and desist letter to those <laughs> folks sooner or later. I have a feeling that the people who have the Peanuts rights are very, very diligent and protective of any and all likenesses that are even remotely similar to the classic Charlie Brown characters. Other than that, uh, it sounds like a good project to me. All right, superlatives time. Miles Simmons, I'll give you first word, especially since I have yet to figure out what my superlatives are. Oops, I said it out loud. I'll figure <laughs> it out while you tell me yours. All right, well, let me uh, talk for a while and let you vamp here. Uh, let me see. So let's go to uh, the Chargers, and let's call it Herbert's the Hero, because the last couple of weeks, Justin Herbert's had an opportunity to bring his team back and win games. I mean, we saw it against San Francisco on Sunday night football. We saw it against Kansas City on Sunday night football. Couldn't get it done. But in this game against the Arizona Cardinals, they were able to do it. And we mentioned it in the last segment. You know, not only did they get the touchdown, but then they went for two. And so it's one of those things that we've been looking for Justin Herbert to do, right? Can he get it done when it matters the most? Can he make the plays in the most critical situations? And not only did he get that pass to Austin Eckler, that one was close. I mean, Arizona nearly got that tackle. And then with no timeouts, the Chargers might have been up a creek without a paddle. But he got the pass to Eckler. Then he got the pass to Gerald Everett. And that was able to help them win that game. And this is, like I said, it's the kind of thing that you want to see from Justin Herbert, where he's elevating the guys around him. He's getting it done when he has to do it the most. Now, are the Cardinals the same caliber team as San Francisco, Kansas City? No, they're not. But at the same time, you have to stack the blocks somewhere, right? You got to play the teams that are on your schedule. And I think it's a really good thing that Herbert was able to get that done yesterday. Yeah, they had those two games in primetime where we all got to see them on NBC. One of the games was flexed in that Chiefs game, but they were leading both against the 49ers and the Chiefs. Could have slash should have won both of those games, lost both and uh, were at a crossroads and not that they would have been done if they had lost last night but the road gets a lot more difficult they needed that they needed to show everyone else and themselves that they could do it and they got the Cardinals at full strength Kyler Murray well, for the most yeah. part the offensive line is kind of a mess and Rondale Moore and Greg Dortch were out but they had Hollywood Brown back DeAndre Hopkins back Kyler Murray back all three on the field together for the first time, all three healthy, and they had to fight back and win. So kudos to the Chargers for getting it done. I'm trying to th think of a good play on to and on, uh, and and I had one and now it's gone. Uh, to oh, a so you write it down. To a none better. To a none. 
Uh, I don't know. Regardless, uh, Tua yeah. was pretty damn good yesterday, and there's some good statistics coming out of it. 274 passing yards in the first half, the most by any Dolphins quarterback since Dan Marino back in 1991 when Miles was either not born yet or very, very, very young because I don't know when in 1991 that was, but I know you were born in late September. Also, he has a Dolphins record of 174 pass attempts without an interception. Since he returned from his concussion, he is 5-0, and he has 11 touchdown passes and zero interceptions. And they just embarrassed the Texans yesterday. And I understand the Texans are the worst team in the NFL, but the Texans have not been week in and week out horrible. It's only been recently where it feels like the wheels have come off, and they're still an NFL team. We see teams play down to the level of the opposition all the time. We just talked about the Ravens and the Jaguars. So you still have to go out and win the game. They're coming off of their bye. It's Thanksgiving weekend. There are plenty of potential distractions for the Dolphins. They could be slipping into that mode of all we have to do is show up and win. They could have found themselves in a problem. But under Mike McDaniel, who somebody was saying this in the NBC viewing room yesterday, and I can't remember who it was. It may have been Matthew Barry. You know, why isn't he getting more buzz for coach of the year? And and I it's look, we, we don't really make the assessment until we get to the end of the season, but it's the, the coach who does the most in relation to what the preseason expectations were. And I don't know what I expected from the Dolphins, but they've exceeded whatever anyone could have reasonably expected, and they could still win the division. They win that division over the Bills, and I think you have to seriously consider Mike McDaniel for coach of the year. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, they they control their own outcome in that division right now because they are currently leading the division via their tiebreaker over the Bills after beating them at home. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do on the road against Buffalo. I mean, that is one of those kind of red-letter games. Where are they going to be when they have to play in cold weather? What is Tua going to be able to do when he does that? But, I mean, there's not much really that bad you can say about Tua Tungavailoa's game, especially since he came off the injury. I mean, in games that he started and finished, the, the Dolphins have, the, the Dolphins basically don't lose. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm... I'm like, well, you know, Mike McDaniel maybe should be getting some of that buzz for coach of the year. But it's also a matter of like, would you have a coach that does the most with the least? Right. And, and well, Mike McDaniel is doing the most with the, the most, I guess we could say. But he's getting the most out of a guy that we had real questions about whether or not he was ever going to reach the levels that he has. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I mean, the most out of the most by what I mean by that is Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. So. Anyway, right, right. Uh, but still, somebody yeah, had to be the quarterback. Yeah. That's yes, I'm amazed. Exactly. No, he's got to do I'm it. I'm just amazed at what he's done with Tua. I'm amazed with yeah, it, with that. me too, me too, me too. All right, uh, I'll go to Washington. We'll just call them the Washington winners because right now, I mean, they're playing a lot better than I ever expected, especially at the beginning of the season when they just they were just floundering. And some guy tweeted me and was like, the commanders, their offensive line is so bad. And I was like, yeah, they, they stink. And so does Wentz and the commanders stink. And he got really mad at me. And I'm like, I don't really care because that was just the way that I saw reality. But at this point, you know, the way they're playing with Taylor Heineke at quarterback, he's making enough plays. They're playing a lot better defensively. We have to take this team seriously at this point. They've won six to seven, Mike. Yeah, I never would have expected that. It's seven and five, the seventh place in the NFC right now. You know, all four teams, if the playoffs started today, which they do not, would be in the postseason from the NFC East. So, like I said, we just have to take this team seriously and think, hey, man, they can make some noise. Chase Young probably coming back this week. That's going to be another boost to that defense. And I'm looking at the standings right now, the rest of the teams in the conference. Seattle is the one in best position to catch them for now. One of these other teams, though, you know, we see it this time of year. Somebody in the vicinity of 500 gets hot. The problem is, I don't know how you define the vicinity of 500. Atlanta's five and seven, half game behind the Buccaneers in the NFC South. Everybody else has got four wins. Yeah. You know, the, the, the good thing about having 17 games, you stay alive a little bit longer. Also, you can have the cream separate from the crap 
earlier, too. And you get to the point where we kind of know who the bad teams are, and they've declared themselves. And in the NFC, when you look at the standings, you kind of figure out who's done, even if they're not mathematically eliminated. In lieu of another superlative, I do want to point this out. because, And this is credit to Ron Rivera, a Coach of the Year candidate, because he has guided the SS commanders through a sea of crap this year. With all the no, distractions, all the issues, oh, yeah. and and players have even mentioned it. They've talked about how we need a fresh start, we need a reset. It's a distraction. How can it not be when everybody's talking about Daniel Snyder this and Daniel Snyder that for good reason? And then yesterday, do we have the image of the Sean Taylor <laughs> memorial? Well, I mean, oh. come oh, on, man. oh, I thought you were going to talk about the big I, hat. I was hoping well, you'd talk well, about the big, big hat. I want to take the Mariah. big hat. I want to take the big hat and put it over the Sean. Taylor Memorial, so no one has to see it. Here's the unveiling of the statue that will be... It's a mannequin from Dick's Sporting Goods, for crying out loud. I mean, what what a disgraceful display, Daniel Snyder. This is on you, because you ultimately own the team. And if you're not prepared to spend the money for a bronze statue of Sean Taylor, then just don't do anything. You've retired his number... They've honored him multiple times. If this is what you're going to do on the 15th anniversary of his passing, don't do anything. You've got the mismatched jersey, which is Nike. The pants are Reebok. The shoes are Adidas soccer cleats, for crying out loud. And you know what, Miles? I just feel like Dan Snyder takes advantage of any opportunity he can to give us all the middle finger and show the outdated logo and the outdated team name whenever he legitimately can because I'm never changing the names, put it in all caps, and you could have you could have had a statue. There's that iconic pose of Sean Taylor on his knee. You could do that without any sign of any logo. You could do a bronze statue that is completely free of any reminder of the name that they got rid of for good reason, but is a constant permanent fitting reminder of Sean Taylor. And I hope that Jeff Bezos or whoever buys that team, first order of business, a real Sean Taylor statue that doesn't dust off gratuitously the outdated dictionary-defined racial slur name that I think the Snyders just love. Tanya Snyder did it a few weeks ago. She mm-hmm. said it. Oh, it's a, we're celebrating the alumni. We And, you know, I, it's a, you see it on social media. Social media oh, oh, it's a, that was the name. It's a historical fact. That doesn't mean we should be yelling it from the rooftops. Hey, it's a historical fact. That was the name of the team was the name of the team, isn't for a damn good reason. And and it's just another reason why that, that just that, what is that? What, you, you couldn't make that up. Like, that's a, an SNL parody, a living, breathing SNL parody of, of the Daniel Snyder decision as to what would be a good Sean Taylor memorial. I, I was stunned when I saw it. Even by the standards that I've come to accept with Dan Snyder, I was still stunned. So get the Brian Robinson big hat. And just put it over everything. Yeah. The Brian Robinson big hat made me laugh a lot. But that uh, that mannequin display. I mean, my God. Look at that <laughs> that looks like... that looks photoshopped. <laughs> that doesn't so look real. <laughs> How is so it staying funny. on his head? <laughs> <laughs> his, his friend's got a company with big hats. Uh, and so now I guess that uh, we were all advertising that for him. But yeah, I mean, that. That Sean Taylor tribute was really left something to be desired. And I, I, I agree with everything you said on that. I, I really do. It left everything to be desired. There was nothing yeah. positive or admirable about yeah. it. Um, by, by the way, by the way, can we show the Brian Robinson big hat again? I, I hope I hope that Father Football is getting his taste because that logo's on there, baby. They're going to see that. and They're going to shut that down. Cease and desist. Yep. They're going to come at you faster then the peanuts are going to go after the Eagles and their <laughs> album cover unless they're getting their taste. If they're getting their taste, it'll be fine. But if they ain't getting their taste, that logo's coming off of there quickly. All right, let's take a break. Uh, Jacoby Brissett quickly going to the bench now that Deshaun Watson officially is back. But Jacoby Brissett made the most of his final appearance as starting quarterback for the Browns. Barring injury to Deshaun Watson, we'll discuss what the Browns did to the Buccaneers when PFT Live continues right after this. Well, the Cleveland Browns 
on a field that was torn up by someone who decided to drive around on there, and you could still see the physical scars on the turf. The Buccaneers were going to come in, supposedly, and put some more scars on the turf in the last game before Deshaun Watson's return. The Buccaneers coming off of their bye, building momentum. They'd won two in a row. They had the big win in Germany. We just All the signs were pointing to a Tampa Bay uprising. I thought it was going to be a long day for the Cleveland Browns. I think anybody capable of objective, rational thought would have expected a long day for the Cleveland Browns. But to their credit, touchdown late. You agreed to, yeah, you know, you know where they are. I mean, come on. You don't just suddenly change, but sometimes you do. They tie the game up late. They win the game in overtime, 23-17. to Great throw and catch from Jacoby Brissett to Amari Cooper to set up the Nick Chubb touchdown run to win the game. And, And good for Jacoby Brissett. His last game as the starter, it didn't go as well as it looked like it was going to. Remember that Thursday night game, week three? I know you do, when they beat the Steelers. And Sims and I actually were having the conversation. How many wins does it take for Jacoby Brissett to derail the presumption that Deshaun Watson just walks right back in and takes over? Is it six? Is it seven? Is it eight? Doesn't matter because they didn't win nearly enough. And, of course, it is Deshaun Watson. But a great way to finish and a great way to leave the door open a crack to get that fourth win so if they do get hot under Sean Watson, there's still a chance, Miles, that your Cleveland Browns will get to the playoffs. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's still a chance, but is there really? I mean, I don't know. I don't – I'm not – I'm not – I'm not – I guess it's the Cleveland in me that's not uh, really feeling that very much. But, you know, I I think Jacoby Brissett did an admirable job as the starting quarterback of the Browns. I think – he did a better job than I think he I'll put it this way. I think he did as good of a job as could be expected for somebody in those circumstances with the career history that he had. I, I think the Kevin Stefanski for the most part made the most of Jacoby Brissett as a starting quarterback. And, you know, I, I think that maybe some team in the 2023 offseason could possibly see Jacoby Brissett as a decent bridge quarterback. I mean, it, it at least stands to reason that a team could think that for me, you know, was maybe a team that's drafting a young QB can look at Jacoby Brissett and say, you know, this guy can at least pilot the ship as we need this young guy to learn. And when somebody else takes over, we know he's going to still be a great teammate. So it was nice to see him be able to lead that drive at the end of the game where David Njoku makes a catch of his life in the end zone, grabbing that thing one handed. And then to see the, the Browns go to overtime and then they eventually win it. That's that's a nice win just as a program for a Cleveland Browns team that really, really, really needed something positive at this point. Well, and Brissett recently said he thinks he's shown enough that he can be a starter. And I think he means more than a bridge starter. Now, the problem is there's only 32 of these jobs, and you have to find somebody that is willing to entrust it to you. He's been around for a while. He's played some good football. He's had some chances. It's just never worked out. But, you know, it's kind of the the Geno Smith factor. If you just hang around long enough, your ship is going to come in somewhere. If you just keep plugging away and you keep getting it done, maybe you do get a chance to show what you can do. Um, and we, we got to see it from Jacoby Brissett, and I thought he was steady in a difficult circumstance, and we still may see him again. Look, there's no guarantee Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson plays right. very not, – it's not physical per se. One of the criticisms Sims always has of him is he treats every play like it's the last play of the Super Bowl. And so he puts yeah. himself in a tough spot. He could get banged up. He could get injured. I mean, how anybody can get injured, we know that. But he could be back. Yep. Who knows? Uh, but somebody will have an opportunity to get Jacoby Brissett in the offseason, and we'll see. That 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 uh, carousel is going to fire up before you know it with first coaches, then quarterbacks. And it seems to be an annual thing now where veteran quarterbacks are always on the move. And one of the guys who could be on the move after this year, whether to retirement or another team, Tom Brady. It felt like it was moving the right way for the Bucs, as I mentioned, and uh, just just a stunner to see them at five and six, to see them lose that game, a game they should have won. Be interesting to see what he has to say tonight on his Let's Go podcast about that one. No reason why they should have lost that game, uh, but they did. And uh, prior to this game, how about this? Brady had never lost a game at all, ever, when leading by seven or more points in the final two minutes. Had never lost under circumstances like that. And uh, 
Yeah, look, they can get back on the horse fairly quickly. They still all they have to do is win that division, and they're still in first place in the NFC South, and they'll be the four seed. But it's a reminder that just because they get there doesn't mean they're going to show up and start taking care of business. I mean, if you can't go to Cleveland and win when you've got two weeks to get ready for it, I'm not prepared to say that these teams in the NFC that are going to have high positioning on the playoff tree are going to be ready to just, you know, buckle. And and look, Miles, here's the reality. If they're the four seed, they're going to get the Cowboys mm-hmm. at home in the playoffs, most likely. And Probably. I don't think it's going to be the same outcome as 19-3 to Tampa Bay wins as it was back in week one if there's a rematch. I, I don't either. I mean, those two teams are going to be completely different in January. Uh, but, you know, it's funny because the Buccaneers have now gone to Pittsburgh and gone to Cleveland. So the two AFC North teams that they have to play on the road and they've lost both games. And in both of those games, you're kind of like, wait a minute. Why, why aren't the Bucs separating themselves from this team? Right. I mean, the, the watching the second half yesterday against the Browns, I'm thinking, my gosh, so what? The Buccaneers should be able to separate themselves from this team. They just kept leaving the door open. And finally, the Browns decided to kick that darn thing in. And when you see that from a team that has Brady, I mean, you, know, you read off that stat that's, you know, Brady, the team and the never losing and all of that stuff. And when it's that late in the game, and that's usually the kind of stat that the Browns are on the opposite end of. You know, somebody's doing that to the Browns and it's like, it's the first time since blah, blah, blah. That's something this crazy has happened. Like it did with the jets earlier this year, which still like eats at my craw. So I think when you see the bucks and where they are right now, you, there's a lot of reason to be concerned because they can't seem to just put teams away like they need to. I mean, they did have that comeback against the Los Angeles Rams a couple weeks ago, but that's not one of the better teams in the league. And they were at home. So I think it's kind of hard to feel like, even though that's Tom Brady, and even though all they need to do is get into the tournament, right? I feel like it's hard to think that this is a Buccaneers team that is truly going to be able to get into the postseason and compete for a championship. Quite possibly also they were looking past the Browns. They took the Browns lightly because the road gets very difficult. They have the Saints on Monday Night Football, and the Saints have been pretty good against the Buccaneers in recent years. Then, at the 49ers, Tom Brady goes home to play a 49ers team that is damn good. Then it's the Bengals the week after that. So, three tough games, and they go to Arizona. They finish with the Panthers and the Falcons. The Panthers, they they pulled off the ultimate feat yesterday where they win and everybody else in the division loses. That's the best day possible. And they're back in this. Every time we leave them dead at the side of the road the panthers find a way to get back into it there they are at four and eight and they could pick off the falcons who they beat and the buccaneers who they beat unbelievable unbelievable the the panthers could win that division and host the cowboys most likely in the wild card round of the playoffs and then get uh, and who knows who knows once you're in once you get a ticket to the party who knows and the less that people expect of you the more loose and free you can play and you can even the panthers probably not but uh, let's let's take a break when we return the raiders fueled by an incredible performance from josh jacobs who was questionable literally to play the game we'll talk about that one and more when pft live continues right after this Down to five on the play clock, gets the snap, hands off to Jacob, stutters to the right, first through the whole 20, 25, 30, he's off to the races, ball game, 86 yards in overtime to walk it off for a second straight week on the 35th anniversary of Bo running through the tunnel, this goes 86 I didn't realize it was the anniversary of Bo running through the tunnel. Josh Jacobs should have done the same damn thing straight out of the building. 86 yards in overtime to beat the Seahawks. And I said all week, how are the Seahawks only favored to win this game by three and a half points? They're the Seahawks. They've been great this year. The Raiders have three wins and two of them are against the Broncos. Give me a freaking break. Why is the? And of course, we find out why the Raiders go in and they get it done. And I mentioned this earlier. Pete Carroll talked after the game about how the uh they wanted to take away Devontae Adams and here's 
Josh Jacobs, 303 yards from scrimmage, Miles. 303. Crazy. Seventh most in a game in the Super Bowl era. Most in Raiders franchise history. 86-yard touchdown run. The fourth longest overtime touchdown in league history. Unbelievable performance by the guy whose option they didn't pick up and who felt like they were showcasing for a possible trade back at the Hall of Fame game. Remember, they had him play in that extra preseason yep. game. It just felt like he was persona non grata in the new regime, and uh, he's team MVP as of right now. Absolutely he is. I mean, yeah, I, I this was the first thing that I thought about when he was having that incredible game last night was, wow, this is a guy that they wanted to get rid of ostensibly, right? You know, well, you don't play guys – in the Hall of Fame game, if you really feel like you're going to be counting on them when the regular season comes. Derek Carr wasn't playing in that game. Devontae Adams wasn't playing in that game. Josh Jacobs played substantial snaps in that game. And so for him to go from the declined option to playing in that game to now you see what he's doing, where he really is the reason that the Raiders are competitive. And granted, they haven't necessarily been winning games, but now they've won two in a row. That's huge. So I don't know if the Raiders feel like, oh, no, maybe we should have picked up that option. He's still a running back. And who knows what that regime, you know, with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler and the history that they have with New England, how that's going to play out. But Josh Jacobs is certainly setting himself up to be the centerpiece of an offense or at least a really highly complimentary piece to an offense in 2023 and beyond. And, and the challenge is going to be how much do you pay him when you consider you can, in theory, find a guy around two, three, four, five, six, seven, or undrafted that if you can block for him, if you can trust him to hold on to the football, and if you can rely upon him to help out picking up blitzes, there's guys coming out of every college program every year that can do it. That's the balance. And how much is he going to get paid? And I don't know. And maybe the Raiders just keep him. Maybe they do what the Buccaneers did with, remember the muscle hamster, Doug Martin, the, the same track. Didn't pick yes. up the option, had a great contract year. Then they paid him, and he didn't play. That's the problem. He didn't play as well once he got the money. It becomes a difficult thing. And if the fan base gets up in arms about it, how can you let this guy go? The business creeps into it. He becomes so popular with the the people who pay their money to go to the games. Maybe you have to find a way to keep him around. But we'll see. They push the buttons just right to get the most out of him, and now they have a good problem in what they do with Josh Jacobs. A bad problem in – Denver, as the Broncos Ooh. fall yet again. Every week, it's like, well, if they can't win this one, they can't win any. If they can't win this one, they can't win any. And now they went to Carolina, and I thought, well, are the Broncos ever going to win? They're going to win this week, and they didn't. It was, it was the first time they've lost by more than one score. That was significant because that's one of the arguments that get made by the folks who are trying to help the cause, trying to help support the keep Nathaniel Hackett employed for the rest of the season foundation. The games have been close until yesterday. They've got a bunch of guys injured, $50 million plus in salary cap value on injured reserve. The players are still playing hard. And look, I did some digging yesterday. They're not going to fire him during the season. It would be beyond stunning if they did. Only four guys in the Super Bowl era, or at least since the merger, have not finished their first year as coach of a team. And it just happened last year with Urban Meyer, but that was for reasons beyond the fact that the team was horrible. It was other issues with Meyer, his personality, how he dealt with people, et cetera, off-field stuff, on-field stuff. They're not going to let Nathaniel Hackett go. But, Miles, I can't see him being back for 2023. I, can't, I, I just can't. I can't see them deciding that this is sustainable. We're just going to give it another shot. They need someone who will fix Russell Wilson. And Hackett has had the chance week after week to come up with a fix. Still six weeks left. A lot can happen. But I think what ownership is going to do, let it finish out, get through all 17 games, and then make a decision. I just can't imagine at this point the decision being keep Nathaniel Hackett. Well, I mean, I, I put it out there yesterday, though. What is the argument for keeping Nathaniel Hackett? It just is through the rest of the year, in fact. And I guess if the Walmart folks, you know, that Greg, uh, the, the Penner Walton group, they want to be able to at least evaluate everything after a full year, then that would be the reason. But I mean, to me, when you now see Mike Purcell kind of yelling, let's bleep and go at Russell Wilson and whether he was just trying to fire him up or whether it was let's, you know, let's born bleep and out ride. of frustration. Uh, yeah, it's whatever let's, it's it is. Let's bleep and ride. 
okay, excuse me. All right. Whatever it happens to be, you know, they say, they say that they're on the same page after the game, but there is frustration there. There is a lot of frustration there because I think back to, I guess a month and a half ago where the Broncos played the chargers on Monday night football. And I was at that game and I'm listening to these press conferences and go in the locker room. Justin Simmons is standing there at the podium and he is pausing so long before every single answer, basically to just kind of give himself a chance to respond in the right way because the reaction that those defensive players are having right now is starting to, it's starting to boil over and you really understand it because if the Broncos could just put together any sort of offense, they'd be at least a 500 team, right? But they're not because the offense can't do anything. They can't do squat. So I understand that from that, you've got to do something to just try to push this thing over the finish line in a positive manner. But, you know, beyond that, I, yeah, I, I can't see Nathaniel Hackett getting a second year to try and do anything here. There's no reason for it. We saw the interaction between Mike Purcell and Russell Wilson. Let's hear from both of them on what went on on the sideline between the two players. Mike and I are on the same page. You know, we, he, um, he came off uh, you know, after they, I think they kicked the field goal and he, he, was, he was pissed off. He just said, we got we to gotta F and go, you know, and uh, – I agree. There's no uh, animosity there at all. We, we're on the same page. We we, we got to win. Frustration. Um, I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I I reject I reject Russell Wilson's explanation. Uh, Russell Wilson looked like he peed a little bit in that moment um, when Purcell got in his face, and also. Matt, let me let me check the number here. Ninety-eight, yeah, ninety-eight, yeah. Your locker will be empty come Tuesday. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious, but you know, I think what the Walton Penner Group is looking to do is give Nathaniel Hackett full and fair opportunity to figure out how to ride the bike. And yeah, he's been crashing into a tree and a parked car, trash can, nothing, just Mailbox. bike fell over. Yeah, um, just wrecked the bike into air. But they want to see, maybe, over the course of the next six weeks, they'll figure it out. You know, and any tough decision, I don't want to say any, but many, they kind of make themselves with the passage of enough time. It becomes more obvious. So six weeks from today, we'll be probably talking about the Broncos relieving Nathaniel Hackett of his duties, but... He's got six more games, more than a third of the season, Miles, to finally figure out how to ride the bike and to prove to new ownership that he can indeed ride the bike. And they're very smart. They're very methodical. They're not freaked out. They're not panicking. But they're also very cutthroat. And I don't mean that. Do I mean that in a negative way? Ruthless. I don't think so. That's still negative. They, they are going to oh. do what they have to do. They're not going to make any apologies. They're going to do what's best for the team. And if we get to six weeks from today – and they've seen the final six games, and they say the guy can't do it, then the guy can't do it. He's gone, period. And they'll hire somebody else who can fix Russell Wilson. But that's the key. He's got to get the most out of Russell Wilson the next six weeks or he's going to be gone. Yeah, and again, there's no argument against that. I mean, you know, you've seen Nathaniel Hackett bring in the clock specialist, right? He's now given up play-calling duties, and a lot of good that's done in the last couple of weeks. So. It's just going to be, you know, continuing to try and whack against that stone and maybe eventually it'll crack and it'll split into a million pieces and you'll reveal a beautiful statue. But it's hard for me to think at this point that that's going to happen in 2022 for that team. Yeah, or or it'll be a statue that looks like the one that the commanders unveiled yesterday. That's what's lurking in that stone right now. Mm -hmm. All right, let's take a break. Odo Beckham Jr. made some headlines yesterday for reasons unrelated to signing with the team. Will it affect his football future? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Odo Beckham Jr. has a way of making news even when he's not trying to make news. This was strange uh, yesterday. It, it came initially from a, a report from Andy Slater, who works for Fox Sports 680 in Miami. Then there was a statement from the Miami-Dade police. It, there's a dispute about what happened. Eventually, a statement came from Odo Beckham's lawyer. He was on a plane. He was under a blanket. 
Apparently, it's his habit on long flights to go completely under the blanket, uh, completely covered by the blanket. And there was a discrepancy about whether he put on his seatbelt, whether he refused to put on his seatbelt. The plane had to go back. They deplaned. He refused. Look, I, I don't know where the truth is here. I, I'm sure plenty of people have encountered flight attendants who are a little overly zealous with the rules and can be a little bit of a pain in the butt sometimes. No, no authority is abused more than hardly any at all. I get it. Uh, that seems to be Odell Beckham's position, that they were overly zealous about the seatbelt situation. Um, and they said he was in and out of consciousness. I mean, Sims was saying yesterday, for all we knew, he took an Ambien so he would sleep through the five-hour flight from Miami to L.A. It, it just was right. odd. And he wasn't arrested. He's not charged. And I don't think it means a damn thing about whether or not the Cowboys, the Bills, or the Giants, the three teams he'll be visiting over the course of the next week or so, will want to sign him. It's just kind of a weird thing. And it happens. And it involves Odell Beckham Jr., so we're talking about it. But I, I think it's a non-issue, and I think it goes away pretty quickly. It was just one of those weird, where did that come from? type of stories that emerged on Sunday while we're otherwise watching football games. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with Sims on that. You know, the, the thing that I most want to do on long haul flights is sleep, but most of the time I can't because I'm so uncomfortable on those planes because they have now made economy seats extremely uncomfortable. So that's just kind of the way it is. But I mean, I don't, I agree with you. I don't, I don't really think that this affects anything when it comes to his free agency and the teams that want to pursue him. You know, where you've got the Cowboys, the Giants, the Bills, they seem to be the teams that really, really want to, to acquire his services. And I understand why he's still a very talented player. Now, you don't know exactly what you're going to get with the guy coming off his second ACL uh, reconstructive surgery in two years, but it's still a guy that you have to account for if your defense is so yeah, I don't I don't know that this particular thing affects any of that, but we'll see where Odell Beckham Jr. ends up and how much he can really contribute. Well, and think back to last year. He was playing for the Browns roughly 11 months after the ACL tear that he suffered October-ish of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then he finagled his way out of Cleveland, joins the Rams, plays for them week 10, and really found his groove late in the year and was a big contributor in the postseason. Look at where they are now. December is just a few days away. His first visit to the Giants begins on Thursday, December 1. Cowboys right. next Monday, December 5. When does he actually get on the field? When does he get himself in position to make a difference? How much of this is for 2023? Anything mm -hmm. you get in 2022 is a bonus. And, you know, at what point I, he wants that, Longer-term deal. He wants that longer-term security. And I get it because what happened last year? He tears an ACL in the Super Bowl. If he hadn't suffered that injury, he gets a big contract in free agency entering the 2022 season. I, I just yeah. I don't know that that's his best play. I, I, almost, I almost think that at this point, Miles, he may be better off just putting a pin in it until March and, and letting the land rush – if there is one, for his services commence then. Not this vague sense he's going to come in and be a difference maker in the postseason. Because as we get closer and closer to the end of the regular season, I'm having a harder time accepting he's going to help anyone when the playoffs roll around. I mean, I, I tend to agree that he's going to have a harder time really helping somebody. Because, again, he's got to also learn the offense. It's not like he's going to places where he knows the scheme, right? And he's going to be immediately familiar with all of those different things. So I don't know. I mean, I, if I'm a contender, I still want him, you know, and maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't, but we'll see what happens there. I, I, I think he's still going to sign with somebody and maybe he will be at least a little bit effective. Well, I, look, I, I'm just not expecting much and maybe he'll right. surprise us all and, and look, here's the other reality I if you fair. get him you keep a contender who you're competing with from getting him there's value mm -hmm. in that too and i think he's playing this very very well i really don't think he wants to go to the giants but he wants the cowboys to think he wants to go to the giants and that part of it from a business standpoint is brilliant we got to take a break we'll wrap up this monday edition of pmt live right after this
The Steelers and the Colts, a couple of traditional NFL teams who went to the AFC with the merger in 1970. Championship history, more for the Steelers and the Colts. They get together on Monday Night Football. I can't think of a better way to sell this one. The Steelers are 3-7. and seven. The Colts are 4-6-1. and one. Jeff, Saturday has proven he can do it on Sunday. Can he do it on Monday? We'll find out tonight. I like the Steelers in this one. It's the only game of the weekend Sims and I disagreed on straight up. I just feel like the Steelers in prime time, they know that there are few chances left to keep Mike Tomlin from having his first losing season of his entire career. Not that they're going to run the table, but I think they can pull it together for tonight against a Jeff Saturday coach team that's put enough film out there that Mike Tomlin and company could probably figure out what they're doing and maybe get ahead of it a little bit, Miles. Yeah, well, you'd like to think that Mike Tomlin can do that. Like, it's a big one for the coaching profession when you got Mike Tomlin and the experience that he has against Jeff Saturday and the lack of experience that he has. So I don't know what that means, but we'll see if uh, Kenny Pickett can pull the rabbit out of his hat tonight. Well, Jeff Saturday does have more experience than he did three weeks ago because he's coached two games. Won one Fair. and lost one and almost beat the Eagles. And they do have a good enough team. We'll see what happens tonight. It's worth watching just for that reason. We're going to see the Colts three times in standalone games between now and the end of the season, starting tonight and continuing Sunday against the Cowboys. We continue our discussion tomorrow at 7 a.m. Eastern. Thanks for some of your time. Have a great day.